Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Danny Torres, and thanks for once again tuning in for an exciting Talking 21 podcast, the official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life and legacy of the legendary 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. Dave Cash is our next Talking 21 guest. He was born in Utica, New York, drafted in the fifth round of by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1966. As a 21-year-old, he would make his major league debut on September 13, 1969, against my hometown team, the New York Mets, the Miracle Mets, who, interesting enough, eventually won the World Series that same year. In his 12-year career, this lifetime 283 infielder who primarily played second base for the Pirates, Phillies, Expos, and Padres was a three-time All-Star. But we can also throw in he led the league in at-bats three years in a row. How about during the 74-75 seasons with the Phillies, he batted over 300 in 1975. He was the first in hits with 213. During those years, he also played the entire 162 games for back-to-back seasons, and during his tenure in Philadelphia, he also led the league in at-bats three years in a row. What I also found rather interesting is that for three consecutive years, 1974, 1975, and 1976, he once again, guess what, led the National League in double plays turned. And finally, our Talking 21 listeners will appreciate this little tidbit about our next guest. Throughout his entire Major League Baseball career, he only hit, guess what, 21 homers. How about that? There's something magical about that number, number 21. Although Dave made his mark in Philadelphia, he will forever be linked to the 1971 Pittsburgh Pirates and having a unique vantage point of playing alongside three future Baseball Hall of Famers, Bill Mazarowski, Willie Stargell, and of course, the great one, Roberto Clemente Walker. Thanks so much, Dave, for being on the Talking 21 podcast. But before we begin, I want to thank your lovely daughter, Alex, who helped set up our virtual one-on-one conversation. So welcome, my brother. And the first thing I want to ask you is, how's that golf game going? Oh, man, I'm terrible. But, uh, you know, I like to hit the ball around and, uh, you know. Oh, come on. You could lie. You don't have to say terrible. Come on. Well, it's a lot easier hitting that ball on the ground than hitting it at 95 miles an hour. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to hit something. So I'd rather hit that golf ball now at my age. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you know, I just realized, Dave, we actually met in Pittsburgh for the very first time in 2011. Our mutual friend, Sean Gibson of the Josh Gibson Foundation, held his annual foundation gala to celebrate the 100th anniversary of his great grandfather's birth. You actually met one of those Negro League players and a Brooklyn Dodgers legend and someone who actually is in a baseball hall of fame the great Jackie Robinson. So share with our listeners your recollections of that meeting. Well, it wasn't a real long meeting. Actually, we, we had uh, the whole team was invited over to 
one of the doctors, we were playing in Chicago at the time. Jackie was doing a fundraiser. The pirate team got invited to go see him. And, you know, he was always my hero, man. He's one of the reasons why I played the game. And I didn't have a chance to talk to him uh, and have a sit down conversation with him because there were so many people at the event. He's, he was always my hero. And uh, like I said, he, he was the reason why I started playing the game. But uh, like I said, he was a perfect gentleman. And uh, of course, the, some of the things that he stood for, uh, you know, the things that he went through to get to where he got was incredible. Well, you know, from Jackie, we can now go to the great Dave Cash and we have to start from the beginning. What can Dave Cash tell the Talking 21 listeners about his, and I can say honestly, because I'm in New York, our home state of New York, but specifically your great town, your great city of Utica, New York, where you were born? Well, it, it gave me an opportunity to uh, show up uh, my athletic ability. Uh, I played baseball in uh, junior in grade school and then high school, and uh, it gave me a platform to show off my skills, and I was lucky enough to to have a scout that lived in Utica, New York. His name was George Detour, who was watching me every day of my high school career. And I never knew anything about it because uh, he never uh, made mention that, or that let anybody know that he was around, but he was watching me for the whole, my whole four years of high school. And I got 1966, I got drafted uh, to the Pirates because of, of his recommendation. You know, Dave, um, certainly someone planted the seed of baseball. Who was that person that planted the seed that really you gravitated to the sport? Well, my mom and dad, but like I said, Jackie was the main character. Uh, and I had plenty of heroes. You know, I had uh, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, Hank Aaron, and you can go on Mickey Mantle and you can go on and on uh, with all the stars that were around at that time. I love sports and, and baseball, I think, was was my choice. I love basketball and I played football, but Baseball was something that I kind of gravitated to and uh, got an opportunity to play. I had a chance to play with some with some uh, some very talented individuals. Uh, I thank the good Lord I got that opportunity. Now, Dave, you mentioned some big names a few minutes ago. Would you say those particular players were the ones that you watched on TV? So you certainly mentioned Mays, Ernie Banks, Mickey Mantle. But is there that one player that you said, my God, I just love what I see every day when I turn on that TV. <laughs> well, not only that, it, it was the player that I got a chance to play with. That was Roberto Clemente. And, and Robbie could do some things that, uh, I mean, he was just unbelievable. He, he, he taught us how to play the game, and uh, he was a, a great leader. You know, he set the example. And when you play with Robbie, you want to play up to his expectations, so he made all of us better. You know, and that's what a great leader does. You know, uh, so you obviously get drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the fifth round. What what experience that must have been receiving that news? Share with me a little bit of that when it became official. Well, I was shocked at the time. You know, I got a phone call from uh, just like they do now uh, from the from the executive and said that you got drafted. And I didn't really know what that meant. I, I know it gave me an opportunity to play and I was very excited about it. But I really didn't know what I was facing. I didn't know what I was going to go up against because I'd never played professional baseball before. Now I was going to get a chance to go and play. Uh, and I was worried a little bit about, you know, now I'm going away from home. I got to learn how to live on my own and, and so forth and so on. So it was a challenging experience. But uh, I'm glad I went through it. Well, an experience it must have been. But for every player that gets to the big show, Talk about the minor leagues. Well, at that time, you know, there was a lot of racial problems going on at the time. 
And uh, it was very hard for, for if you're a man of color uh, or Latin playing in, a, in, in any minor league town in the South in, in the early 60s. So uh, it was kind of challenging in that respect. But, you know, I never experienced that we had five and six, seven hour bus rides, which, uh, uh, you know, it was it was challenging in itself to, to just have to travel that distance and then play a game. It was uh, in, and, you know, we're playing 140 games in the minor league. So that was an experience I had to get adjusted to and, and accustomed to and learn how to deal with the game. Has, uh, it taught me a lot of things, uh, how, how to act as a professional and how to take care of yourself, how to live on the road and a whole bunch of things that uh, you kind of grow up and you become a man, so to speak, by having the experience to, to go to the minor leagues. I know there's been some players who never played in the minor leagues before, but uh, it's an experience in itself. And uh, certainly we all know, Dave, it's the minor leagues of your generation and the minor leagues of today's baseball player who certainly doesn't spend too much time down there. But, you know, Dave, you so here it is. You make your major league debut in 1969. Talk about that first game in 1969. And interesting enough, it was against my New York Mets. <laughs> well, I tell you, I was I was uh, shaking in my boots the first time I got a chance to experience my first game, my first time at bat, uh, my first game. But uh, after a while, you get over it and you start, you know, you, the guys in the team help you relax a little bit and uh, you get a couple of hits here and there and you start to settle in a little bit and you realize that, uh, hey, I can play with these guys as well. So. Uh, it's a learning process, but I had some great guys around me. You know, I had this Willie Stargell, uh, Clemente, and especially Bill Masarowski, who helped me develop as a second baseman because I always played on the other side of the diamond. I always been a shortstop, but uh, and then making that transition to go and play at second base, uh, it was it was an experience in itself, and I give Maz a lot of credit for helping me with my development. You know, it only would take two years, and let's be honest, Dave. There's guys that never have that opportunity to go to a World Series and play and certainly win. Take it all. And obviously, we know what happened with the Baltimore Orioles, um, but it would only take two years. But your teammates were quite special. But before we even touch on you-know-who, the great one, please share with our listeners. You guys would end up going 97 and 65, the 1971 Pittsburgh Pirates. How much do you credit your manager? Danny Murtaugh for the team's success. Oh, well, Danny was uh, was the driving force of our team. Uh, he was our leader, uh, and, and Danny was, a, uh, would, the, I guess the expression is he's a, a player's manager. He puts you out there, lets you play. If you did the job, you stayed. If you didn't play well, you were replaced by somebody else, and that's all you can ask for. He, he never lied to you. He always told you the truth, and uh, if you were doing bad, he, he encourage you. If you were doing well, they pat you on the back. So uh, he was a, an ideal manager, especially for me, a young kid coming in, uh, not realizing, you know, what it takes for, you know, having been managing players like Masarowski. Now you got a young player and myself. I was awed just to be around him, but uh, he was a great leader and uh, we all had confidence in him and he had confidence in us. You know, uh, you were putting a huge smile on my face when I was looking at the uh, baseball reference and looking at stats. I love baseball reference. And it's interesting, in uh, the championship series against the Giants, you batted 421. Your recollections of that series, but you know what, Dave? I got to pat you in the back. Your batting average was better than your teammates, Roberto Clemente. So <laughs> tell me about that series. Well, I don't know. I guess uh, I got lucky earlier because uh, I, I 
hit the ball pretty well and and uh, some pretty good pitches to hit. And uh, I realized that, you know, we had to win this thing to get to the World Series. And I just had a good series. It, it was one of those things that I wish I could have had that same, ser- uh, same series in the World Series, but uh, it helped us get there. So that was that was an important part of it. So I'm, I'm happy about that. At one time, I had I, I think I had the record for the most hits in uh, a four-game series. I don't know how they measure it now, but uh, back at the time, uh, like you said, I had hit 420 something, and it, it was it felt good. It felt real good, you know, being able. To... There's something about that 21 because look at the number <laughs> 421. You know, Dave, if you had to close your eyes right now, and I'm being really serious, if you had to close your eyes right now. What really sticks out about the 1971 World Series that went seven games against the Baltimore Orioles? We don't have enough time, put it that way, to tell you uh, the things that went on and the, and, and, and the two teams that competed at the time. They had four 20-game winners. We had a bunch of guys that could swing the bat. But they, I think they kind of underestimated our pitching staff and one of the things I know they real they underestimated was our defense. And we never got very much credit about our defense uh, because we hit so well. And, uh, you know, there's a cliche in baseball that says, you know, pitching, uh, good, good pitching, good defense, win ball games. Well, uh, you can't score with pitching and defense. The only way you can score in baseball is on, from the offensive side. And I've, I've had a lot of arguments with people about that. The defense and the pitching save the game. Not they don't win it. You can only win the game from the offensive side because you can't score with pitching and defense. And the only way you can win is to outscore the offense. So the opposition. So uh, you got to have a good offensive club, and then you have got to have some some guys that come in and, and close the game out and, and save it for you. Because uh, uh, it, it's just a part. That's the way it is. I mean, you have to have the offense and the defensive part of it. But I think that. Uh, we, we played seven games and it was a, a grueling contest. They kicked our butts the first two games. And uh, then we came back and, and swept the next three in Pittsburgh, which was uh, kind of challenging. It was, we set another record. We had the, we were the first night game ever to play in a world series. That's so, true. That's yeah. true. So Pretty rivers. Unbelievable. And, and they turned off, they turned all the lights on in downtown Pittsburgh. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. But uh, those are, and here's another thing that people don't realize. We won the World Series in 1971, and Bob Gibson threw a no hitter against us. And uh, that was the first no hitter that I've ever had been a part of. I mean, thrown against me. I played in one and, and, and witnessed another one, but I've never had one thrown against me. And Bob Gibson uh, threw a no hitter against us that, uh, that day in Pittsburgh. Unreal. He was, he was basically unhittable, you know, but. Uh, we came back and 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 played them the next series in in St. Louis and we beat them, uh, and we were you know we we're awful happy about that because Bob was a very tough pitcher man he could he, he could put it where he won most of the time. Hey, listen, that's called payback, right, Dave? You know, <laughs> for for everyone, when you think guys like myself that uh, again, I grew up in New York, definitely still a Met fan. But when I think of the 71 series, let's be honest, Dave, you're going to think of Roberto's heroics. Those are going to what's going to come to my mind. And when I uh, look at Roberto, I look at the footage and those that I have spoken to about that 71 series, your teammates, what were those early days like for Dave Cash 
when you first met Roberto Clemente. Tell me about when you first met him. I was in awe, Danny. I mean, I'd always, you know, you, you listen to him, you hear him on, see him on TV, look at him on radio, I hear him on radio, and uh, now I got a chance to play next to him. And, you know, he was, uh, he carried himself differently than a lot of both. He was very proud of who he was and where he came from and his heritage. And uh, he had a lot of problems with the media. I don't think they understood Robbie at all. And uh, he loved, he was, a, he was a man of the common man, put it that way. He wanted to be amongst the people. As a matter of fact, after uh, we, we had, we, uh, we clinched the pennant, uh, everybody's looking around for Robbie to celebrate. And he's out in the streets celebrating with the people. You know? So he was a people's man. And uh, uh, to me, he was, and I'm sure he feels the same. And a lot of guys in, in the Latin America feel the same way. But he was the Jackie Robinson of Latin America. Okay. He's, he's the reason why a lot of Latin players are playing today. You know, uh, Dave, that's very, very true. And we're certainly uh, going to talk a bit more on that legacy of Roberto Clemente and his impact. Well, Dave, I'm going to ask you this because certainly you had a 12-year career in Major League Baseball and you had your share of slumps, areas where quite possibly facing the great Bob Gibson, areas where maybe you just made a mistake on the field where Bill Mazeroski took you to the side and said, hey, Dave, this is what I saw. So here it is when you had a bad game, you were in a slump. Would Clemente come over to you and say, hey, Dave, this is what I saw when, uh, you know, give you some insights, some advice. I heard Willie Stargell did that often. He did. Yeah. And so did Robbie. Both of them were, were consoling, especially for guys that had bad games because he wanted to, to maintain guys' confidence. And, and uh, once the guys like Clemente and Stargell and Mazeroski believe in you, you, you have to have all the confidence in the world. And that's what they both did. Both did. They instilled the confidence in the player that they played with. No matter how many years you play, I mean, they treated rookies just like they were veterans. And then, and that usually didn't happen, especially back at that time. Uh, usually the, the rookies were sort of put on the side and you, know, you, sh you kept your mouth shut and played the game. Uh, so it was, it was, it was, a, I was very lucky to put it that way, to, to have the opportunity to come to an organization that had these three veterans that uh, especially Robbie, because uh, I was close enough to him. Yeah, you know, I played three, three or four, three and a half years with with him, and never had a collision between me and him, and at second base and him in right field. He would always tell me, "If you, if you hear me, get out of the way, because I got it." And, and he'd always had the override of anything that was popped up behind us or behind me and in front of him. And because of that, we never had a collision. And uh, that. That's interesting because now when I think about it, here it is, you played second base. You would have those interactions with uh, Roberto all the time. So like you said, once you heard, hey, I got it, you just, you just scurried away. I'm telling you, that man, get out of the way, I got it. Uh, you know, when he, if, he could, if he could put his glove on it, you were out. Uh, and nobody ran on him, okay? And that's what's one of our, our – our, I mean, yeah, there's, there's no telling how many runs he saved pitchers on base hits to right field that guys were afraid to, to attack his arm. So uh, that was one of the intangibles that, you know, you, it's not measured by any any statistics, but it helped us win a lot of ball games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm going to throw something else at you because it's a little story that Lou Brock shared with me. And uh, he told me in 1971, that all-star game, he struck out the prior at bat before what he ends up doing against Mickey Lolich. When he sits in the dugout, he's speaking to Lou Brock, and he tells Lou Brock, 
hey, Lou, guess what? I'm going to hit a home run the next at bat. And lo and behold, he ends up doing that. And one of the things that I heard often, and it tells you a lot about the greatness of the ball player, it's almost like he was setting up the pitcher. Like, in other words, I'm going to swing and quite possibly I might strike out, but I want you to throw it there again the next time I face you because I know you're going to throw it there because you think you got one on me. And he ends up against Mickey Lolich in Detroit in that 1971 All-Star game. He hits a bomb. Now, let me ask you this, Dave. When you think of Clemente in a batter's box, when you think of him in right field, you already mentioned defensively. What was it that you saw from the dugout where you said maybe inside? I know that as you call him, and we're going to talk about that, Robbie's going to get a hit, Roberto's going to get a hit, or maybe, hey, Roberto, I think this this time around the, the pitcher's got one on you. When would you say you kind of experienced that? Well, I think in the, in the World Series, he, um, Mike Cuellar was pitching, and uh, he got Clemente out on a screwball the first or a breaking ball the first time up. And the, sec- the second time up, he told Manny Sanguinis, he said, if he throws me that same pitch again, I'm going to take him out to left center. And uh, Cuellar threw Robbie a pitch, a, a hanging breaking ball, and uh, Clemente hit it out to left center for a home run to, to give us the lead at that particular time. But uh, Robbie, he was un- unreal. I mean, he, he could give you anything you wanted. If you want a single, he could do that. If you want a double, he could do that. If you want to hit it out the park, he could do that. He had all the tools, and uh, what a player! I mean, I, I can't, I can't express the 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 things that he did for us and for me as a as a teammate, and and for us as a as a team and itself. Uh, always hustling, never giving. He played the, every game like it was his glass. He gave his full effort all the time. Amazing player. You know, in 1972, you guys play five games in that championship series against the Cincinnati Reds. Sadly, you would lose, but um, one of those lasting images that I remember, and you see the footage on YouTube of when Johnny Bench hits that home run, and the uh, play-by-play announcer just basically says something along the lines, Clemente to the wall, and you just see Clemente's head kind of just make a little slight bow. But that's the last image that we we'll see and ever see in Clemente's last at last game ever. Um, it happened to be in Riverfront, but certainly it was the last time we ever see Clemente on a ball field. So Dave, as sadly as we all, when December 31st comes around, what are your recollections? Where were you when you heard the tragic news on the passing of your dear friend? I was at home and uh, I heard it came over the news and I just, I was shocked. You know, you just can't believe it. And, you know, you don't want to believe it. And, uh, you know, we started getting phone calls from all the people that we that knew him, all the people that, that knew us. And it was a it was a trying time at that at that point in time, because, uh, you know, he was he was doing something that was humanitarian. He was taking some relief to Nicaragua to help the people out down there because uh, uh, the food wasn't getting in. The people were stealing it and it wasn't getting to the people that needed it. And he wanted to make sure that those supplies got to where it was needed. And, uh, you know, just unfortunately, the plane that they had didn't, uh, it was a malfunction and he went down and he went down in, in one of the deepest parts of the ocean in, in Puerto Rico. And at that time, uh, you know, we don't have this, they didn't have the sonar equipment and, and, the, and the equipment that they have now uh, to find them because they, they couldn't get down to those depths. And 
you know, we never got a chance to, to, to see him again. It was very, very, it was a crushing blow to our baseball team. It was a crushing blow to the Puerto Rican people because he was always a leader. And, and like I said, there was a lot of guys playing baseball now because of, of, of Roberto Clemente. During your entire career, you played with 12 future Hall of Famers. I actually counted the list. They were actually your teammates, future Hall of Famers, other than Clemente, Stargell, and Maz. Which future Hall of Famer that you watched from the dugout or when you were on the field that really you just marveled, you just shook your head? I got the list, Dave. I could tell you the players, but I think you know a few of them. Mike, Mike Schmidt. You know, Gary Carter, Tim Raines, Andre Dawson. You know, those are some pretty impressive names. Well, I'm telling you. And, and, there's, and the list goes on. You know, guys I played against, Marshall, Mays, Aaron, uh, you know, you can, Ferguson Jenkins, Tom Seaver. You know, and uh, there's a name that, you know, I know he passed away, but there's a name that probably one of the greatest all-time pitchers ever to put the uniform on. So, uh I had a chance to play with guy and Jim Cott, another one, Jim Longboard. I mean, uh, and the list goes on. Can I throw another name in there, Dave? What? Dick Allen. Oh, that my main man. <laughs> now you see, see, see. Guess what? Because I want him to hear the podcast to say, "Yo, yo, Mr. Allen, someone forgot to mention your name." You know, give me, give me a little something about hey, Dick Allen, Dave. Give me a little you, something. Man. When when Dick came back to us, and I was with Philadelphia at the time. And we had just started to build a team that we thought could uh, could win the championship. And uh, the general manager came to me and said, so you think he's like, we got a chance to get Dick Allen. What do you think? I said, what do you mean? What do I think? I said, you shouldn't even be thinking about it. Think we would he would be a great addition to our team, especially it would help a couple of guys like Smitty and Lazinski, because uh, here's a power hitter that could identify with those two guys and they could. I mean, Dick brought a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge, uh, how to play the game and the way he played the game, uh, not only his athletic ability, but the mental part of the game that he brought to us uh, exemplified leadership as well. But uh, Dick was, uh, he was something else. And there's another guy that should be uh, in the Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. Him and Al Oliver. There's another one, okay? Yeah, good. Scoop, <laughs> scoop. Your boy, Scoop. Lifetime uh, over 300 biting average. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on, I want Scoop to hear this show as well. You know, that you didn't forget Scoop. No, never, man. That's my main man. He just had a birthday here recently, so. Yes, he did. Uh, yes, he did. I, I did reach out to him, and he was. He said he was overwhelmed with the amount of uh, text messages and phone calls. So certainly uh, Al is a, a class act. You know, earlier I mentioned throughout your entire career and that magic number once again. So we talked about that batting average of 421. Were you ready for this, Dave? Your entire career, you only hit 21 home runs, right? Wow. That's all you got, 21. <laughs> but, but, Dave, but there was one particular at-bat on September 16th, 1979. It was a doubleheader in Olympic Stadium. It didn't even happen in the United States. <laughs> and you was on an 11-game hitting streak. The crowd went bonkers. Tell our listeners, the Talking 21 listeners, what happened to Dave Cash in the great country of Canada. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it was we we're playing the Cardinals and. Uh... I think either Carter or, or, or Dawson let off with a base hit. The next guy got walked. 
And it was two outs, and Cromartie hit a ground ball to Keith Overfell, and he booted it uh, and loaded the bases. Uh, I got a first pitch was a ball, and next pitch was a strike. And uh, the pitcher tried to get through another one by me, and I hit it out of the ballpark for a grand slam, a walk-off home run that uh, 59,000 people in the stands, and they went crazy. It was, it was, and it put us in the first place at the time. And and help me out because I know the answer. Who were we going up against towards the tail end of that September season? It was against your former team. Exactly. And they actually they ended up winning the World I mean, ended up winning the World Series. And I thought that should have been us at the time because we had played so well down the stretch. Uh, we had a dynamite team as well. Uh, and and the, the, the city of Montreal was excited. The, the people were going crazy. And uh, we were drawing 50,000 people almost every night. You know, Dave, uh, the smile that you put on right now, and I hear it in your voice, you seem to, even after moving on from the Pirates, certainly, I mean, Dave, can we even talk about those years in Philadelphia? But certainly, Dave, although it was just a 12-year career, it seems the impression that I've gotten, even when I've spoken to you throughout the years, that you were, you know, pretty content where you said, you know what, Danny, although, you know, I moved on from Pittsburgh, man, look what ended up the Pittsburgh Pirates would miss out and what I would end up doing. I mean, consecutive all-star games. I mean, uh, lead the lead in hits, you know, in the league in hits. I mean, I mean, listen, Dave, there's stats that are unbelievable for a player in the mid-70s. Now, let's, let's not forget, everybody talks about the big red machine of the 70s. But, Dave, here it is. You're playing in Philadelphia. And you're, you're pretty impressive there. You know, so Dave, uh, what was it? I mean, would you say after Pittsburgh, it was that's where you really started to say, if I was given that opportunity to stay in Pittsburgh, you know, this is what you guys would have gotten. Yeah, well, you know, Pittsburgh needed a left-handed pitcher, and uh, I was expendable at the time. You know, we had Rennie Stennett at second. So uh, the, 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 the Pirates dealt me on the Philadelphia. And... Uh, I looked upon it as an opportunity because uh, little did, I guess, no one realize that I had spent six years in the, in the Marine Corps and I used to miss uh, a weekend every month of the se of the season. And I did 15 days during the summer camp right in the middle of the season. So when I got to Philadelphia, I got a chance to play every day and I didn't have to worry about serving uh, in the service anymore. And it gave me an opportunity. And also I was a little older, more experienced. And uh, I was asked to, 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 to lead a team or be a part of a team that had a champion that had a chance to win. So I thought if I can bring them uh, a bunch of hits, good defense, good base running. And uh, with the people that we had, we had Smitty, Lezinski, uh, Carlton, a whole bunch of guys that uh, had some potential. And all we had to do now is build that confidence. And they started believing in themselves and all of a sudden, we end up, we were in 1976, we were six, 101 and 61. We lost to the Big Red Machine, and they went on and, and beat the Yankees in four straight in the series. So uh, we had we could say we had the third, fourth best team in the, in the world at that point in time. We didn't get a chance to play in the series. That's the only thing that I regret uh, not bringing a world championship to Philly at the time that was there because we had a good enough team with Allen and Smith and Boa, Boone, Maddox, John Stone, Ali Brown, Greg Lezinski, oh, we had a nice squad. And uh, we just, it seems like uh, when you have a team and you don't quite make it, 
the team, the organization seems to think they have to make some improvements and sometimes it sets them back instead of carrying them forward. And, yeah, and it, it took Philadelphia four years after that 76 team to get back to the World Series. So uh, after I left, I think there was a four-year regression for the ball club, which uh, I love playing in Philly. It was great. And, you know, it's a player that I just thought of immediately. And, um, you know, if you could share a few words about who actually played for the Mets in the 73 season, would go on uh, – to start this champ, you got to believe, you got to believe. Tell me about Tug McGraw. Oh, Tug was, he was a, he was a help on, on the leader on, uh, especially in the bullpen, uh, on a team that played with Philly. Love Tug, his attitude, uh, his positive thinking, uh, and his, his willingness to, to come in in tough situations and get that ground ball double play that you needed. Uh, and he had the experience too, because he had been through this, the 69 championship with the Mets. So we were building a pretty good club that in, in Philadelphia. We had all the ingredients. We just uh, couldn't get a, a break in the playoffs. But Tug was uh, incredible. You know, he had that screwball and guys. Uh, he could he could deal with either left-handed or right-handed hitters. So he had something for both of them. Uh, great competitor, and uh, we miss him. I'm telling you. You know, Dave, uh, something that. We all know in 2020, whether it's the pandemic that our world is going through currently, sadly, so many lives lost in the United States, but something else that came out of in 2020, and that is the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, interesting enough, next year, the 50th anniversary of when the Pittsburgh Pirates fielded for the very first time in Major League Baseball history, an entire lineup that consisted uh, with you, Dave Cash, along with your fellow Black and Afro-Latino ball players and teammates. But my question to you, Dave, is this. What can society learn from that historic day, what occurred on September 1st, 1971? Well, it, it has to be a message of togetherness, of, of unity, and uh, of sacrifice. Because uh, a lot of things that are going on that, that shouldn't be going on. There should be, you know, justice for all equal rights. That's what it's all about. Uh, respecting each other and uh, demanding respect and giving respect. Uh, it's all about the respect, put it that way. And uh, if, if, if there's no respect, then there's no, there's no law and order. Okay. And, and when there's no law and order, there's chaos. And that's what we're on the verge of now. We need to straighten this out. And uh, we need to bring people back together, bring families back together. And, uh, help each other. That's how when, when we're as Americans, when things get tough, we band together. And uh, until we can do that, it's going to be a long, hard road. And this pandemic is not making it any easier. Uh, we have to listen to the scientists. We have to get together as a, as a, as a country, as a, as a nation, and stop worrying about outside forces. We got to band together and, and keep those outside forces, especially the negative ones out there. We have to band together. Okay, we're all in this boat together, period. You know, when, and they, like they say, all uh, a rising tide will lift all boats. And that's what we need now is a rising tide. But one person that, without a doubt, um, we know when it came to anything that he felt specifically that it wasn't impactful enough for his community, the Latin American community, from baseball players to, as you mentioned earlier, the common folk. But with the current climate in today's society, what would you believe Clemente specifically would say if given the opportunity to speak to those present in front of him? 
Uh, he would probably say the same thing that people are saying now, Black Lives Matter and Latin Lives Matter and, and, and people of color lives matter. Uh, he, would, he would definitely speak out and he was against any kind of oppression, any kind of prejudice, any kind of restriction that uh, was taken away from man's human rights, uh, he would speak out against. So he, he was a leader, not only baseball wise, but a civic leader as well. I mean, he would, like you said, he, he would always speak out against uh, oppression uh, and down, people that were downtrodden, and he would he would he would be a spokesman for the little guy. Put it that way. Even though he was a, he was a giant of a man, both physically and, and, and athletically, whatever he did was always to help the common man, and that was a, his main thing. Because uh, he had played in the minor leagues, he had played in, in the states, and he had played uh, in places where he wasn't wanted or wasn't liked, and he had to deal with that because of the color of his skin, and he realized that. He was not all, I mean, he was a man uh, of all times. He could, he could, uh, you know, he was a very proud man and he, he believed that things should change and things should be equal and things should be right. And then when they weren't right, he would speak out against them, no matter what they were, no matter what's, a, if, if, he, if, if he saw something that was wrong that we're doing to, to a white person, he would speak on it. The same as he would if there was something going wrong with a Latin or a black person, he would speak on it. He was just that kind of a man. He wasn't afraid to say what he felt. And, and everybody knew that he was telling the truth. So that was that was another thing that uh, about him. He, he gonna give you the straight scoop all the time. Whether you like it or not, he gonna tell you like it is. I'm sure you had an opportunity to watch on TV. I had the honor of being there at PNC Park on September 9th, 2020, which uh, your former team, the Pittsburgh Pirates, for the very first time, uh, since 1972, when uh, your dear friend passed away, were allowed to wear the number 21 during the game. If you had a moment, Dave Cash, to speak to the commissioner of Major League Baseball on the importance of retiring Clemente's number league-wide, what else besides the obvious would Dave Cash want to tell uh, the commissioner of Major League Baseball what he needs to know about the greatness of Clemente and why that number needs to be retired. Well, because, uh, you know, he stands for not only uh, the American Baseball Society, but the Latin American Baseball Society as well. I mean, here's a guy, like I said before, had, just like Jackie Robinson, he broke the color line for the Latin players. I mean, there was a lot of Latin players playing before Clemente, but none had the stage that he had. And none played in the World Series in the United States like he did. And, and because of his exposure, there was a lot of kids growing up in Puerto Rico and Venezuela and, and Mexico and places south of the border that was watching him play, that was inspirational, that gave them hope that they could get out from under the, the oppressions and some of the things that they had through this game that he gave, that he brought to them. And he showed them how to play it. Uh, just a... Uh, that's that's what uh, you know. Just the fact of him uh, raising up that community and uh, inspiring kids to play, the same like Jackie did. Well, I think it's an uh, appropriate way to uh, end this unbelievable and fascinating and extraordinary conversation with World Series champion Dave Cash. And Dave, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank Alex enough. Even though I want to call her Alexandra. 
but I can't thank you enough for being on this show. Uh, Danny, it's always a pleasure, my man. You know you're one of my favorites. Good luck to you and God. Thanks so much, Dave. What a great show. And once again, thanks so much for sharing some pretty amazing stories about meeting Jackie Robinson, playing alongside 12 future baseball Hall of Famers, and experiencing the greatness of Roberto Clemente up close. Clemente was truly the leader on that 1971 World Championship team and provided the best example on the field and certainly his impact off the field, and that will never be forgotten. Until next episode, many thanks for listening, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talking21Podcast for all the latest information about our episode drops. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and certainly review us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, a special thank you to our executive producer, Raz Guevara. Tune in next time for our continued conversation about the great one. And as always, this is your host, Danny Torres. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. And finally, to all our Talking 21 listeners, let's never forget these words that were once spoken by Roberto Clemente Walker. Anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world and you don't, then you're wasting your time on earth. Until next time, adios. Adios.